I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The capitalist economic system remains the dominant mode by which we organise our affairs east and west. Capitalism has gone through a number of iterations, but its basic commitment to free enterprise and free markets and limited state regulation remains the dominant orthodoxy. Over a number of episodes, we have been looking at Islam's economic prescriptions. How would a modern Islamic economic order, based on an authentic acceptance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who is Al-Hakim function. This week, we invite back onto the show Dr. Abul Iz Abdus Salam, a university professor and expert in comparative economics from Jerusalem, Palestine, to continue our series, today exploring property ownership. Capitalism places great emphasis on free enterprise. The orthodoxy states most property should be in the hands of private corporations, for this is how a truly dynamic economy can be achieved, whereas radical socialism places a greater emphasis on collective ownership, looking upon property rights with great scepticism. Until now, Muslims have oscillated between the two ideologies, many proudly describing themselves as either Islamic capitalists or Islamic socialists. Yet Islam, as the revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, came to help us reach salvation in the afterlife, as well as harmony in our societies. So how do we regulate property ownership in Islam, and what is the role of the state, if it does indeed have a role when it comes to property ownership? Dr. Abuliz Abdul Salam, it has been some time since we had you on The Thinking Muslim. Can you summarize where we are in the exploration of Islamic economics? Yes, uh, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So we have spoken about uh, wealth distribution uh, with a comparison and contrast of uh, Islamic economics versus capitalist economics. 
and uh, we talked um, uh, firstly about the uh, taxation system and um, uh, the way um, the prevailing uh, taxes uh, in uh, present um, uh, Western uh, countries are income taxes and sales taxes, whereas the wealth taxes do not do not come close to touching the vast wealth is uh, accumulated by the super wealthy, uh, whereas um, tax is. Uh, imposed on the masses of working people and uh, uh, takes away chunks of their earnings. Um, uh, but in Islam, um, especially the zakat and the way it is imposed on um, wealth that um, is significant to some degree but and lasting, uh, not transient wealth. Um, so we talked about that and then we talked um, last time about the monetary system and uh, the way uh, money in Islam is based on gold and silver and how that uh, induces stability uh, and um, uh, that uh, your your <coughs> possession, uh, uh, your wealth that you earn uh, keeps its value, uh, does not fluctuate the way fiat money does, and um, you can um, grow it with investment and with uh, spending effort in growing it, uh, but you cannot uh, grow it with a an interest-based um, uh, lending, and you cannot grow it with uh, speculation in, in uh, stock markets or uh, bonds or um, the sort of speculation that, that, that has the nature of uh, parasitic uh, economics uh, that feeds on the actual uh, um, productive econo economy and uh, does not, in the end, produce uh, any tangible goods or services, uh, does not uh, serve in um, the actual production uh, of uh, goods and services, but uh, feeds and uh, profits off of uh, the actual economy. Uh, a, a parasitic economy that is multiple times the size of the actual economy. Um, as we said, uh, at one point, uh, it was estimated that the uh, total wealth um, that exists in the world was like uh, 40 trillions, but the uh, amount of um, uh, paper certificates that are being circulated in um, stock markets, bond markets, um, um, uh, so-called commodity markets, uh, was like 400 trillion. Uh, so 10 times the actual amount of wealth that exists in the world. Uh, this was discussed last time, and the way um, uh, capitalism uh, propagates and uh, promotes 
such parasitic econo- economy uh, and the way Islam regulates um, um, uh, monetary activity and investment activity uh, in such a way that the economic activity that is promoted is the actual productive one. Now, Dr. Abdesalam, last time we spoke, uh, there was a discussion about revenue and ha- and what is what would be the revenue stream of a modern Islamic government. And uh, we had some discussion about zakah and uh, its role as a as a form of wealth tax, although it's not a tax, it's a form of wealth tax. And uh, in that discussion, you made some reference to other forms of revenue and um, you discussed the uh, revenue that comes from uh, uh, state property or from public property. Uh, I wonder if you can elaborate on that today. So what are the uh, different types of uh, property ownership, I suppose, that exists in uh, according to the Sharia? Yes. So in Islam, property is divided into three types. So private property or individual property um, is um, sanctioned and um, uh, protected in Islam. There is private enterprise, there's private possession of goods, and uh, um, uh, it has no cap as we spoke before. Uh, there's no upper limit to the amount that a uh, uh, an individual can uh, possess. Um, the limitation or the regulation is on the ways um, um, in which uh, this property is acquired and the way uh, in which it is um, uh, grown or um, uh, the way in which it is dispensed. So um, so that's private property, individual property. There's also uh, state property, which is the kinds of property that may be possessed by individuals, but um, the state um, has possession of it because of its role as a custodian and as a steward of the uh, public interest. Uh, so the state is not naturally in control of many uh, uh, um, buildings, many interests, um, and the uh, treasury uh, that the state uh, has uh, in order to dispose in the interest of the people. The third kind uh, of property is public property. This kind of property is a property that does not uh, is not allowed to be um, um, possessed by individuals. The state plays the role of steward and custodian of this property and a regulator of the access to to those uh, resources. But the uh, actual benefit of it must go to the public. It has to be distributed to the public. Access has to be uh, allowed such that there's equitable access and no one um, user, no one individual uh, can hinder the use of those resources by others. And can you give me an example of a state property and uh, of public property? What's What's the difference between the two? Yes. So as I said, state properties, um, 
include, for example, government buildings. Uh, they include, uh, well, uh, equipment, uh, uh, cars uh, utilized by government workers. Um, they include, of course, uh, the treasury of the state, uh, in which there's um, uh, the um, taxes that uh, and the revenues that come to the state, and the state has to dispense of them uh, in the uh, affairs of the public. So um, now, public property includes, for example, ample natural resources. Uh, natural resources in abundance uh, that cannot be possessed uh, by an individual or a corporation. Um, it includes also um, uh, utilities that cannot be possessed by individuals, such as public roads, public squares, uh, beaches, rivers, and so forth, um, which cannot be you know, uh, granted uh, to um, an individual that can block access to them uh, from the public. So public properties are mostly by nature uh, owned by uh, the community. They cannot be owned by uh, individuals. Uh, the state plays the role of a regulator that makes sure that uh, everybody has access to those resources and those utilities, and that uh, nobody uh, uses them in a way that hinders their use by others. So you mean public utilities like water and gas would be uh, part of this public utility in Islam. But can you tell me what's the evidence for this? Where can we find the Dalil from uh, Kitab and Sunnah? Certainly. So... Uh, Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said al-muslimuna shuraka'u fi thalath fil-ma'i wal-kala'i wal-nar Muslims are partners in three things in water, pastures, and fire. In other narrations, al-nasu shuraka'u the people are partners or associates in those things. So water, pastures, and fire. Uh, and by fire, uh, it meant back then the uh, logs um, uh, taken from, by, chopped from trees. Um, so no one should um, uh, uh, block the access to water, pastures, or logging um, um, and uh, keep them for themselves. Um, now, at the same time, uh, there were instances, and it, it can easily be imagined, that there can be a small water well um, used by indi an individual owned by someone in their backyard. There can be a small um, patch of land that has pat pastures or uh, trees from which they can uh, um, have logs. Uh, the reason that was deduced from having these two conditions together, that uh, everybody is a partner in those resources. At the same time, there can be uh, those same resources in small amounts in private possession, in private property. 
so the reason the illa that was deduced is that when those resources are in an abundance such that um, if they are um, lost, if access to them is blocked, the community disperses um, in seeking after them, in looking for them. Um, therefore, if that resource, if there's a, a public a water resource um, that the community depends on, and if that dries up or access to it is blocked, then the community would disperse looking for water, then that resource becomes automatically a public property. It cannot be owned by um, a private individual. Uh, same thing for uh, pasture lands. Same thing for um, forests um, uh, from which people chop wood for uh, fire. Um, so that was um, um, uh, a famous um, uh, hadith from uh, Prophet Sallallahu in which public property was established. So let me try to understand uh, the nature of public property and the scope of public property in Islam. What about railways and roads and uh, transportation like the underground? Would this have to remain public property or could they be owned by private individuals? Yes, it has to be public property. So as I mentioned, uh, the illa was uh, deduced uh, and the illa was that the community depends on those resources uh, and those utilities. So public, uh, uh, so roads, railroads, uh, beaches, rivers, um, all those means of transportation, they uh, share the same reason, share the same illa, and therefore have the same ruling, which is that they must be public property. Uh, access to them uh, must be for everybody. No one can block access to them and keep it uh, to themselves. Uh, therefore, they cannot be owned individually. Uh, so uh, by the same dalil, uh, the same illa applies to them. Any natural resource that has this um, uh, uh, illa of uh, being abundant and the community being dependent on it. Uh, there's another um, uh, hadith, another evidence for public property uh, which talks about natural resources. So um, uh, a man uh, by the name Abiyab ibn Hammal came to uh, Rasulullah and asked him to grant him a salt-laden land. Uh, so a, it wasn't um, a mine, it was actually salt that was you know, on the surface. Uh, so Rasul granted it to him and then he left with his people. One person in attendance uh, said to Rasul uh, do you know what you granted him? You granted him the uncountable water, uh, the abundant water which 
cannot be counted. Uh, so Rasulullah sent after them and took away uh, what he granted before. Uh, took away the salt land that uh, he granted to Abiyabu bin Hamma. Therefore, um, uh, this also establishes that natural resources that uh, are uncountable, ample, abundant, um, cannot be uh, granted to uh, a private individual or a group of individuals. It has to uh, stay open for access to everybody. And the state has to regulate uh, its use such that everybody has access to it. I'm trying to understand how these hadith would apply to our current uh, contemporary world. Now, let's take, for example, broadband access. There's been a discussion here in the UK during the last general election where the Labour leader, Jeremy Corbyn, uh, put forward a a plan to nationalise broadband, to bring broadband into public control. Where would Islam stand on broadband and access to broadband? Would it be uh, right to say that private companies could uh, could administer and uh, and make profit from it? Um, so the rule is uh, th- that lets us... Um, 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 explore uh, where this uh, is classified. Is it private property, public property? Uh, the rule is, so those um, signals, those lines that uh, transfer uh, this utility, uh, do they pass um, uh, within private um, lands, privately owned properties? Or do they pass through uh, public lands and roads and um, open lands? <clears throat> the answer is those public utilities uh, pass through public roads uh, mostly. Um, the uh, infrastructure that transfers the signals, and this applies, of course, to electricity, to water. Uh, utilities, um, they are provided through uh, the public roads. Uh, and uh, um, even if it is uh, satellite systems or uh, uh, wireless systems, they are uh, provided through uh, the air, uh, which is publicly owned, cannot be privately owned. And this makes them public utilities. So the state uh, should own them. Uh, uh, I take that back. So it is not state property, it is public property. The state administers them uh, such that they are used equitably by all. Access to them is open to all and no one can hinder access to them or uh, profiteer from uh, providing access to them. Here in Britain, we've got a national health service and we pay for it uh, through general taxation. uh, And also we've got free education. Uh, What would Islam's perspective be on, would this fall into the discussion we've just had about public resources that we have to have access to? Uh, Health care and education are responsibilities of the state meaning that those are basic needs of the community that must be guaranteed. 
Now, having them guaranteed is not necessarily the same thing as providing them by the state, uh, because some individuals may choose to uh, get those services uh, not from the state. So if uh, an individual has the ability to, um, <coughs> uh, to afford a, a private doctor uh, or their services, uh, or a private um, tutor, um, then they can uh, choose to do that. But um, everybody else, um, the state has to guarantee those rights. Uh, this, by the way, is not uh, the same topic as public property. It's the topic of uh, what the obligations of the state are in terms of um, providing the basic needs of the community. Uh, those needs such as uh, food, shelter, and um, uh, health, uh, healthcare and education. So would the Islamic government charge for access to these resources? I mean, we know that uh, these resources require uh, constant expenditure. I mean, railways, for example, we need constant updating. And um, uh, there is a, a need really to, to plough money into, into these uh, into these uh, different utilities in order to make them work and make them effective and efficient. So would we be allowed to charge the citizens of an Islamic uh, state or an Islamic government? Is there a, how much can we, uh, can we charge for these resources? Uh, before I answer that, there's uh, the question of privately owned corporations. Can they be of service? In those, in those sectors, meaning, uh, so currently privately owned corporations have uh, uh, drilling capabilities for uh, oil and minerals, where they have technologies for refining those uh, resources and um, uh, shaping them such that they can be used. Um, they have equipment, um, they have technology, um, uh, so, um, uh, electric power uh, distribution, uh, that's um, certainly within the, um, right now within the uh, privately owned companies. Um, so, what happens to those companies uh, in an Islamic system? And the answer is, they can still work for the government. Uh, they can be uh, compensated on a job-by-job -job basis, meaning they provide um, <coughs> services to the government. They develop everything that needs to be developed. They, they um, provide services to the public on behalf of the government. They are rewarded compensated by the government. They cannot, on the other hand, uh, profiteer from providing the resource to the people. They cannot charge um, individual citizens per usage of the utility. They cannot charge by, um, for um, uh, selling oil uh, or um, um, charge um, by metering uh, electric use. Uh, 
or water usage. Um, <clears throat> they simply cannot be um, uh, the recipient of uh, revenue from the public uh, for, you, for using the resources that actually belong to the public. They cannot be selling those resources back to the public. We're not against, uh, you know, private companies that deal with technology and provide their services to the government and the community. Uh, what the Islamic system does <coughs> is uh, compensate them for the job that they do, uh, but does not allow them to possess the uh, resource that results from uh, extraction uh, or uh, transforming resource, uh, the resources into uh, uh, other shapes and forms of material or energy. Uh, they cannot uh, uh, sell back the resource to the community because the resource belongs to the community in the first place. Um, so now to your question, which is, the, uh, does the state offer everything for free? Is it now uh, uh, a, f uh, a free for all, uh, water, electricity, uh, uh, phones, uh, internet? Uh, the, the, the answer is no, not necessarily. So the role of the state is to regulate the use of public utilities such that access is provided to all and no individual use uh, may hinder the usage by others. And this point can be uh, regulated by imposing nominal fees for usage. So the state does not seek to sell the utilities to the people. Uh, what the state can do is uh, charge for uh, usage such that only by a nominal amount, such that a person is aware of the amount that they are using and that they are not using in excess of their need. The state can also uh, put a limit, a cap on the usage, um, uh, such that nobody uh, um, consumes in excess and uh, does not uh, leave enough for others, uh, for their usage. How nominal would the charge be? Surely there is a, a responsibility of the modern state to provide for a, a host of services and uh, they all need to be paid for. And uh, I would imagine, I mean, zakah is a very limited form of taxation, uh, if we call it a taxation. It's very limited and it goes to very limited categories. But of course, there are other responsibilities of a modern state. Uh, and so I would imagine that uh, public services and utilities would provide a lot of the revenue for those services. I mean, so, you know, could the state uh, not charge a higher uh, amount of money if it needed that to balance the books? So um, natural resources are actually uh, a great source of wealth. They are not to be underestimated. It is uh, estimated that uh, 
oil, oil and gas resources alone are between 2 and 3% of uh, the world economy, meaning um, that the, the amount of wealth that exists on Earth, between 2 and 3% of that is oil and natural gas. Um, and unfortunately, right now, uh, most of that is um, under the control of uh, private corporations, um, oligarchs, uh, and uh, super wealthy families that have secured the privilege to extract those resources and sell them back to the community and trade in them. And uh, they keep that privilege um, generation after generation, and they uh, continue to reap the benefits from those uh, resources. Um, so when the state um, charges nominal fees, uh, it can still generate uh, a vast amount of revenue uh, for the purpose of de developing those resources and providing access to them. Um, those resources can also be, um, uh, if they are in excess of the need uh, of the community, they can be sold um, abroad to, to other countries. Uh, and, and the revenue of that has to come back to the community and it can be uh, spent on developing the resources. In, in countries that have been endowed with such resources, um, having the means for development is never a problem. You've mentioned that private companies could uh, contribute to uh, these projects uh, as long as they uh, do not seek a profit from the end user. I mean, how extensive would this be? Could we have a competitive market of private companies that all offered services for uh, the state, for government contracts, as we find again here in, uh, in Western states? The, the oil companies, um, as I said, can be uh, companies that provide services to the state uh, or uh, provide services to the community on behalf of the state, uh, such that access to the natural resources uh, is provided to everybody. Um, and without um, um, taking uh, fees directly from the users. So the companies cannot be, uh, cannot charge uh, per usage or uh, be the sellers of the resources because they don't own them. They can be compensated uh, uh, on a job by job basis. Same thing goes for uh, electric utility companies, water utility companies, uh, communication utility companies. Uh, they, they should exist and they should um, have the resources to develop the craft and the technologies um, for, for what they do. Um, and they should be 
compensated in accordance with uh, their abilities, uh, which are vital to the community. But um, they cannot be uh, rewarded with, you know, the privilege to uh, keep reaping and keep uh, milking the public utilities and selling them back to the community. They cannot do that. Now, Africa is rich in resources, and we know that uh, many Western countries and corporations, they tend to plunder these resources for their own uh, material gain, and, and very little is, uh, is reaped by the, uh, the people of that country. Um, these resources are usually uh, mineral resources, so for example, cobalt and copper and, and uh, precious stones like uh, diamonds and, and gold, of course. Your initial criteria suggests that uh, the properties have to be in abundance and they have to be of use to the community. Would these also be uh, public properties? Uh, that is certainly the case. Um, those natural resources in uh, so-called third world countries um, have been the subject of um, imperialism. Um, they have been plundered by uh, Western countries, uh, whether back in the days of um, uh, militaristic imperialism or nowadays uh, in the times of economic imperialism, uh, makes those countries continue to live in poverty while uh, um, allowing Western so-called multinational corporations, um, allowing them to develop the resources, um, take the output of the uh, mines and, and uh, oil wells and so forth, um, give the government a portion of the proceeds and you know what happens to those proceeds in third world uh, corrupt governments. And uh, the people continue to live in poverty while, you know, living in miserable conditions on top of all of those resources that are being extracted from beneath their feet and uh, enjoyed by uh, the corporations that. Uh, extract them. And on the subject of uh, corporations and companies and, and their access to resources, of course, you, you set out a criteria to suggest that it would not be acceptable for private companies to make a profit from these public resources. But could we hire, for example, a foreign multinational uh, that uh, has the expertise to drill for oil or the expertise to mine for a particular commodity? Uh, so, uh, yes, w when they can be uh, separated from the imperialist interests and the uh, strings attached with, uh, you know, uh, uh, Western policies and Western interests in, in our uh, countries, uh, then yes, um, they can be treated as private companies with an expertise that is needed and required and they can be compensated on a job-by-job -job basis. So in theory, if those conditions 
apply, then certainly yes. And that could be a company from America or from uh, Britain or from uh, China, for example. And that wouldn't be a problem as long as the conditions you outlined were met. Um, yes. Yeah. So um, uh, with the separation from imperialist interests, um, any company can be um, uh, utilized uh, in the development of natural resources. Dr. Abul is Abdus Salam. Jazakallah khair for your uh, uh, participation today. And inshallah ta'ala, we hope to invite you back on the Thinking Muslim sometime soon uh, to carry on this uh, really interesting series on Islamic economics. Inshallah, inshallah ta'ala. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.